Hey, if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. If you're using one of your own Bibles, which would be great, you'll find it way over in the end of the New Testament. But uh, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 1036. So there's a Bible there right underneath your seat. You can just grab that, turn over to page 1036. So, anybody here read the comics every morning like I do, out of the paper? I mean, I, I just have this, I have this process every morning. I get up, I get a good cup of coffee, Rwandan coffee, I go sit down in my favorite chair, I read the paper, and then just when I'm just about done with the paper, I go get more coffee, and then I read the comics, you know, and that's the kind of way I cap the whole thing off, and, you know, I read Family Circus and Zitz and Hagar and all those kinds of things, but I don't read the political ones. Those are too boring for me. Anyways, but one of my favorite ones is Baby Blues. Any, anybody read Baby Blues with little Zoe and little Hammy that are in there? You know, Hammy's the little boy that can find a million and one ways to get into trouble, and, um, and he can find a million and two ways on how to break things. So that's Hammy. Then he's got a little, his sister... I think it's the big sister, Zoe. She is like the fashion queen, right? And her other expertise is being a tattletale, you know? And she loves to tell on her brother and all the things that he's doing. There's some days I read that, and, and, I, and, and Zoe's finding, you know, a couple times in there, they've had her tattling on herself because she didn't have anybody else to tattle on. She just needed to tattle, and I'm thinking, I'm so glad Jesus is not like that. You know, I mean, we've read he's our advocate, Right? But he could have a whole lot to tattle on us about, you know? I mean, I, <laughs> I picture this, you know, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? I mean, that's where the Scripture pictures him. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you can imagine him one time just kind of turning to him and says, Hey, Dad, let me ask you a question. Remember back when you uh, told me to tell my disciples all this stuff so that my joy could be in them and their joy could be full? Remember that? Remember when, we, you, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, told John to record all that stuff down so it could be passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation of Christians, that they could know all this stuff so that my joy could be in them and their joy could be full? Remember that? God said, yeah, 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 I remember. He said, well, just, just kind of follow your spiritual GPS down to 01564 zip code. That's Sterling. You know, and... and that building over there on 35 Chocolate Road, the, 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 the corner out there, you know, the, the office there in the south, um, southeast corner, you know, it's, that's the pastor's office. You think he looks like he's got full joy this morning? It kind of looks to me like he's moping. You know, people don't go to church the way they, they used to. And, 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 you know, people just will not show up for all kinds of different reasons. And, and, and people leave the church really just because they think they're, you know, they, they need a change, you know, kind of stuff. You know, the guy, the guy, he's moping in his office, and that's not bad. Look, look down the hall to the worship center where the, where the worship leader is sitting in the sound booth working on stuff, and, and, and she's pouting. You know, one week they sing a couple, of, you know, they, they, they don't, you know, people are writing on their cards, you know, man, we need to sing more hymns, and then you sing a couple of hymns, and then the next week people are writing, we need to sing more contemporary songs, and the music's too loud, and it's too low, or whatever, you know, nobody's ever happy, and Forget the children's wing. You know, the children's director, I mean, she's made 15 phone calls to try to fill one slot, and she's nothing but mad. Does that look like full joy to you? 
And the answer to that question would probably be no, right? We're going to, and I think, experiencing full joy, or to use John 10.10, to experience life and experience it abundantly, is, is really just kind of the same way of saying what it really means to live a great life. You know, we've been in this series on key choices to a great life. We've been looking at a number of things out of, the, out of the book of 1 John that relate to you and I really experiencing the great life, the abundant life, the life full of joy that God wants to give to us. And first of all, the way we've defined a great life through this journey, just a little recap before we move into our final point. We're going to do a little bit of an epilogue next week, but in terms of our final point <coughs> for, for today, just a little recap. We've defined a great life as living the life that God's always wanted for us. And God's desire is for us to live a life that's with him, and with that we experience the best that God can give us. It's like those moments when Adam and Eve were in the garden. There was no separation. They could walk and talk, and they experienced God personally, and they had everything that they needed. God's desire is for you and I to experience the great life, and that's a life that's lived in him and with him and for him and full of him, and it's blessed by him. It's, it's the ability that we have on a daily basis to put our pillows on, heads on the pillows at the end of the day and be able to say, today God blessed. I felt like God blessed today. Or to be able to look back on a lifetime of journey and say, I think God has blessed. Now we've looked at four choices to this point that we need to make in order for you and I to experience that kind of great life in our lives. And the first choice was we need to let the truth set us free. We need to let the truth set us free. A lot of us, we are chained to our past. There are problems, there are circumstances, there are mistakes, there are poor decisions, there are things that have happened to us, whatever, and, and we seem changed to our, just chained to our past. And with that, we can't move forward into the life that God has for us because because of God's grace, our lives are always dictated by our future and not by our past. And there's a way in which we need to let God set us free from our past. That's why he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all. He'll set us free from all that's holding us back. The second choice was to complete our love for God. This came out of chapter 2 of 1 John. To complete our love for God. If, if living the great life is to live a life that's close to, personally connected to, experiencing God's presence in our lives, then everything that we do that's inconsistent with that moves us further and further away from God's presence. And so by completing our love for God, by being obedient, by being righteous, to living that righteous life is, is a powerful step, a choice for us to make. The third choice was to love others. I think because God's nature is love, there's just something about loving others that allows us to experience more of God. You know, we use that illustration of like a balloon. You know, you can blow a lot of air into a balloon and it expands. And, and our ability to expand and, have, and experience more of God is directly related to our ability to love others, to our commitment to loving others. And so our, 
our, our spiritual expansion is directly linked to actually loving other people. The third, fourth choice, which we looked at last week, and all of these are online. You can listen to them. You can pick them up off of our website and et cetera. The last point was we really need to pay attention to. We need to be careful who we're listening to. There, there are lots of people, lots of different perspectives and opinions and et cetera about how to live life. Lots of those. P- people, there's, everybody and their brother has a way to tell you how to live your life. And we need to make sure that we're listening to those who are telling us how to live life God's way. And we looked at that last week from 1 John chapter 4, that we need to test what's being heard, pay attention to who's actually listening to who. That's a direct relationship, but the choice to be careful to who we listen to. Here's, here's our choice for today. It comes out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This may sound strange to you, just like kind of not normal Christian language, at least from our tradition, but I would tell you this, that you and I need to choose to live like the winners, like the victors that God has created us to be. We need to choose to live like winners. <laughs> God has... I'm not talking about a $1,000 a day entrance fee so you can hear some kind of a pep talk from some guy who's a pop. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about you and I actually saying, I'm going to live the way God has designed me to do. Everything that God has done in human history is a conspiracy so that you and I can live lives of victory. And we need to choose to live as victors. Now, I want to give you a little, some pieces that go with that, all right? Because, you know, we all know Monday's coming, right? And it just seems really hard from Monday to Saturday to be able to live like victors and it seems like life's so on. How in the world do you do this? I want to try to unpack this a little bit. And he talks about this issue in verses 1 through 5 of John, 1 John 5. Just follow along. And I'll make a couple of comments and we'll go back and unpack it for us today on how it is that you and I can choose to live like winners, like victors. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. So, he's saying that the, the entrance into the family of God is through belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the, the unique one in the activity of God in the world. In other words, He is the Son of God. And when we, do, when we experience that, we love the Father and we love all of the brothers and sisters that are part of that family. That's you and I. We love fellow believers, all the ones who, who are born of Him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey His commands. How do I love people who drive me nuts? You know? How do you do that? He said, well, you know what? Just love God and obey His commands and you're going to love people. But this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. Now, His commands are not a burden. Some of you might argue with that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, His commands are not a burden because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Hmm. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. 
actually in, in the Greek, the, the, the language kind of lines up a little bit more. It's like, it says, this is the conqueror who actually conquers the world, and that conqueror is our faith. So our faith is the victory. I, I'm tempted to sing this song. Our faith is, you know, I'm not going to do that to you. My wife told me I could not sing to you. She told me that several times last night and this morning. <laughs> She said, my singing voice is an instrument of the evil one, and I should not use it. So anyway. (laughs) All right. Verse 5. All right. Reel you back in here. Just get a little closer. All right. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, one of the things that stands out from this text is the word conquer, victory, all kind of rooted in the same thing, and the word faith, belief, and etc. Those two things go together. Now, let's first of all try to kind of piece together how it is that our love for God translates to a great life. John is teaching us out of this passage of Scripture that if we love God, you know, if we're born again, we love God. And as we love God, we, we don't find his, bird, his, his uh, commandments burdensome, so we live obedient lives, that to love God is to live obedient lives. And when you and I are living obedient lives, we are actually living the great life because that's when we're living with the presence, the power, the purpose, the joy, the hope, the love, the strength. And the list could just keep going on of God, that that. As you and I love God, we obey God, and as we obey God, we actually put ourselves in a position where God can share his best for us because we're not letting this stuff leak out. We're not moving out of it, but we're allowing God to continue to pour his best into us, and we're living a great life. Now, I know a lot of you have been going to church since you were in diapers, right? I mean, you've been going to church for a long time, and, you're, and, and, and your reaction is, is at times a lot like mine, where there's a lot of skepticism that go with this idea of being victorious, right? I mean, we've, we've, we've been there, we've done that, we've heard all, the te- all that kind of stuff, and life is still hard. So how in the world is it that you and I are actually supposed to choose to live lives that allow us to be victors over the world, that we can live life as winners over the world? The world here is is, is really those who are committed to or just by, just by basic choice choose to do life without God. And we have victory over that draw in our lives, and we actually choose to be obedient. To, how does that all work? Because this concept of victory is tied to obedience, and that concept of obedience is what allows us to conquer the world. And it's by counseling, conquering the world that we experience victory and we actually get to live in alignment with God. Well, how does that all work? Why is that possible? I, first of all, I want to give you three realities that are true about this. And then I want to give you one action plan that I think flows from this. All right? I, I'm, my job right now, my task, my hope is to convince you that you were actually designed to live as a spiritual winner and for you to make the choice to do so and to make the choice every day to do so. So here's my 
Here are my thoughts related to this. Now, let's start out with verse 4. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Whatever has been born of God conquers the world. What John is saying to us is that when you and I experience new life in Jesus Christ, when, to use Jesus' word that he used with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, he says you must be born again. When you and I are born again, when we are reborn through our faith in Jesus Christ, God puts it into our nature to be victorious, to be winners. Look over chapter 3. Verse 1, just one page back. We read this earlier as we were reading responsively. And it says, look at what a great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. He, what he's saying is that when you and I are reborn in Christ, we look enough like Jesus that the world doesn't recognize us anymore. You know, you ever been around, you know, when you get like one month and two months old, whatever? But several of my nephews, I've been around them this summer. They got little infants. They're two months, three months old. And always the debate is, who do they look like? You know, I think they look oh, you know, it's like their grandmother on the, you know, on, on the father's side, you know, twice. You know, you know, they look like a kid to me, you know? And they look funny until their hair grows in. You know, they just look like a bowling ball, you know? And, and I mean, you know, but, but they're always talking, well, who do you think they look like? Well, I got to tell you, when you look at a believer, what you see is the nature of God. And the world looks at us, and, 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 and they don't recognize us anymore. They don't know us because we are now like God. And God has scripted, but God has built in, he's engineered into our nature as his child to be victorious. You ever been around somebody who's just as a natural at something? You know, they can just pick up a pencil or a pen and start drawing without any lessons, and it comes out great. I mean, I can't even tell what I was drawing when I get done with it. And I was the one doing the drawing. You know, but some people, you just, they just have this natural instinct. You know, when I, when I sat down to start practicing the piano when I was in the third grade, I knew I was not a natural. You know, it was not, I said, you know, you're wasting your money on these lessons. You know, and thank God for appendicitis because that got me out of my piano lessons and I never had to go back, you know. You know, that kind of idea. But, th- th- but there's some things we're just good at. You know, just, you know, just some things, just, just math comes easy to people. Others, it's English. I mean, I can never tell where to put a comma, you know. But, but some people, just natural. God has naturally created us in Jesus Christ. Whoever is born of God conquers the world. It's scripted into our DNA. And a lot of us are like Esau. We're selling our birthright off for just a bowl of stew when God has said, I have given you the gift of being victorious. You and I were born for this. We were reborn for this, to sing a new song like we talked about earlier. Now, <clears throat> he makes a statement in here that a lot of us would have issue with. It says, God's commands are not a burden. 
think a lot of us, we think of all the things that God asks us to do when we find it kind of overwhelming, right? You know, so we kind of see God's commands as a burden, you know? What John is trying to talk about here is that when you and I have been born again in Jesus Christ, and we become a part of the family of God, and we love God, then all these things that God has asked us to do become a labor of love. And those aren't a burden. See, a burden is something that oppresses you. God's commands are designed to empower us. They're not designed to repress us. They're designed to release us into the great life. And when you and I are born of God and we love God, God's commands, his instructions to us about how to actually live the good life to keep ourselves in a position where we can experience his best in our lives, those things no longer are a chore. They're a labor of love. There's a big difference. One of the reasons why you and I can actually be obedient, as it talks about here, that we can love God and obey his commands, and with that keep ourselves in a position where it's because we love God. You know, the story is told, and it's been going around for a long time, and is, you know, of a, of a young boy one time who was topped on the streets of England way, centuries ago. He was on his way to school, and he was carrying a young boy on his back. The young boy was unable to walk, and so this guy was carrying this kid to class with him. One day, he got stopped in the street by somebody, and, and, and they said, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, he, he can't walk, so I'm carrying him to school with me. He said, wow, isn't, isn't that a burden? And the guy said, no, he's really not a burden. He's my brother. You know, and, and when it's motivated by love, it's not a burden. Let me give you another example, up to date today. Tomorrow, on Monday, Paul Silver, one of our deacons, will have been in the ICU over at Marlboro Hospital for two weeks. Been there for 14 days. I was there on Thursday afternoon, so just a couple days ago, to see his wife, Lynette, and to see Paul. Paul is so sedated with the breathing tube in and some other things that, that he's not able to interact. So, but but I, I, was, I was there to see Lynette. When I was there to see her on Thursday afternoon, the thing she said to me was, she said, well, I left the hospital for the first time today. She said, I went across the street to my doctor's office and got a flu shot and came back so that when he goes home, I won't give him the flu. I'll be all set for that. A lot of us, you know, the poor thing, up to the hospital. She, she, she hasn't even left the room for like 12, 13, 14 days. How hard that must be. I got to tell you, there's no place in the world that Lynette would prefer to be, if her husband's going to be in the ICU, than right there with him. It, it's not hard. Because it's a labor of love. Now, there's lots of places she would rather for both of them to be somewhere else. But it's not hard for her to make the choice to stay there with Paul because it's a labor of love. And when you and I get our love of God right, his commands are not oppressive. They don't weigh us down. They actually empower us and release us. They set us free into the great life that God has for us. A lot of it is that you and I struggle with the source, the motivation of our love of God. See, a lot of us, we, we are in love for God, with God because of what he can do for us. 
rather than be in love for God because of who he is. And when you and I fall in love with God for who he is, then his commands are not heavy. I didn't say they were easy because they were a challenge, but they're not heavy because they're empowering. They release us to move forward. And God has designed us as his children with this new nature to be people who are in love with him, so we released into a life of victory. Third point, why I think it is that this is really something that you, got, you and I should and can be experiencing. It's why we need to make the choice to do it. I want you to look at verse 5. It says, and who is the one who conquers the world? In other words, if, if, if you were playing fantasy kingdom today, <laughs> who are you going to put on your team and say, these are the ones who are likely to be victorious over the world? And this is who he says, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he gets very specific after verse 5 about what he means about Jesus being the Son of God. He goes on to talk about the witnesses that confirm that Jesus actually is the Son of God. And he talks about the water, he talks about the blood, and he talks about the Holy Spirit. So not only does the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts to tell us that Jesus really is absolutely unique, that he's God and he's man, and those two things are now inseparably connected with one another, and as he sits at the right hand of the Father for all of eternity, he is the risen Jesus Christ. He's still man, he still bears the marks of the wounds of the cross as he sits on the throne. He still, John says, what a lot of guys were starting to argue back then because of the way they understood the world and they were trying to fit the gospel message into the way they wanted to see the world. They, they, they're, they're, what they were teaching was that, well, Jesus was a good man who lived in Nazareth, great carpet, all that kind of stuff, and then at the moment of his baptism, the Spirit of God came on him. And from there, up until just before he died, he was Jesus Christ. But just before he died, the Christ left, and it was just Jesus left. And then he died and was buried. And the Christ went back to heaven. And that's who's up in heaven today. And, and when John says, no, he was the, the son of God because of the water and the blood and the spirit testifying to that, he's saying he was Jesus Christ at his baptism. He was Jesus Christ at his birth. And he's Jesus Christ for all eternity. <coughs> and part of his argument for us then is that when you and I believe that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, that he climbed out of heaven, took on the form of an embryo in a womb, grew into a man, lived a perfect life, was resurrected, crucified and then resurrected, and grew, that the things that he taught and who he is is absolutely confirmed in history and in our minds. And one of the things that Jesus has said to us is, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, why in the world is that important? The one who's able to conquer is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that, that this Son of God is at the right hand of the Father and He's always with us and all authority has been given to us and He's with us. And he, here's why that's important for us to believe that and to translate that belief into the way we live our lives every single day to choose to be victorious because it's a lot easier to do right when you're associated with people who are doing right. A lot easier to do good 
when you're associated with people who are good. It's a lot easier for us to choose to obey when we know we live our lives in the presence every single second with the one who never disobeyed. Because Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. Have, you have any experiences in your life you say, boy, I wish I would remember that Jesus was with me when I was doing that. You know, I told the first service, I, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago, I forget what it was, I, I was going to Florida to see my parents. And so I was supposed to take the JetBlue flight out of Worcester and fly down to, to Orlando, and I was going to drive over to their home a little over an hour away. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And it's JetBlue saying, well, we've moved your flight to Boston because we couldn't land the equipment in Worcester the night before. So, you know, and the flight's leaving and now whatever. So I get up and I drive to Logan. And I'm at the airport. I'm through security. I get on the plane and we're ready for this 915 departure to wherever it was. Somewhere in the boarding process, I mean, there were very few of us there. Somewhere in the boarding process, somebody had to open their mouth and say, well, I guess all the people from the bus in Worcester aren't going to make it. And the flight attendant was like, what, what, what was this? So JetBlue had said, had told everybody that if you're, if you, if you want, you can go to the airport, be at the airport by 6.30, we'll transport you into the city, whatever. Well, so they get on the phone, they start calling people, and then they get on the intercom and they start talking to us on the plane. We're already sitting on the plane. You know, there's like 30 of us on the plane, and they're saying, well, the bus left Worcester five minutes ago, and we're going to wait for them, right? Now, there's a guy about five rows back who's there with his wife, his mother, and his two kids who are heading into Disney World. And he needed to remember that Jesus was with him a little bit more than he did. You know, he just got all upset, and he's, he was chewing on the ear of anybody. He could go to flight attendants, the captain. They got, you know, a, a, an operations manager and the gate attendants. They got all these people who are coming in. And he's saying, you know, I'm missing a whole day at Disney, and it's costing me so much a day. And they said, well, we'll give you your money back. And goes, well, you know, you guys aren't going to pay. And he's just, he's not swearing. His mother-in-law's there, right? And you remember that his mother-in-law was there. His kids are there, so he's not swearing, but he's, He's not remembering that Jesus is there, right? So finally the bus arrives. The people start kind of coming, you know, through security, and they start trickling onto the plane, and we're thinking, all right, finally we're going to get out of here, right? I mean, I've already been sitting on this plane for like two hours. And, and, and then all of a sudden the flow of passengers coming on the plane stops. And then a couple of state troopers come on the plane. And they come walking down the aisle past me, and they, and they walk up to this guy and they say, the captain doesn't want you on the plane. You're going to have to get off. You know, he should have remembered that Jesus was with him. You know, and, and <laughs> so he gets up. He's steaming and you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if his wife and his mother-in-law and his two kids are going to go on to Orlando. And they had to think about it because it was about five minutes later they actually got up, got their stuff out of the bins, and they also left the plane. And I'm thinking this guy... You should have remembered that Jesus is always with you. You maybe would have, and you'd be sitting on a plane. You know, I got to tell you, when you and I remember, when we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, we remember that God is always with us, that Jesus is with us to the end of the age, that all authority has been given to him, that without, with, with God all things are possible, all those kinds of wonderful things. When you and I remember that, we have the power to do what's right in the eyes of God and reject that which is not. 
because it's easier. I mean, how many of you ever prayed, I want my kids to hang out with bad kids? I want them to get in the, you know, you say, God, just bring good friends into the life of my kids. That's why I want them to go to youth group because they'll have good influences, right? Because it's easier to do good when you're associated with those who are doing good. And we're always associated with Jesus. And with that, we can make the choice to be victorious. I've got one last one. This is more of our action item. I want to reach out across the pages, across the page, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5. You know, we're talking about obedience and about it not being burdensome and that it then becomes, as we are obedient, it releases us to actually be in the presence of God, in the scope of all the goodness of God, because we're eliminating all those things that drain out His presence and His love to us, and we're experiencing a good life. John makes this statement. He's kind of wrapped up. He's In verse 13, he stated his purpose for writing the, the epistle, this letter to us so that we can know that we have eternal life. And then he makes this, this statement. says, now this is the confidence we have before him. Whatever we, whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked him for. Now, here's the point I want to make to you. He says, whenever we ask anything that God actually wants for us, we're going to get it. 100% guaranteed. Whenever we ask, whatever, whenever we ask God for that which he already wants to give to us, God hears it, he's going to give it to us, there's no questions about it. Here's the point. When we ask God to make us obedient, he's going to answer our prayer. Can you think of any occasion ever where you could ask God, I want to be obedient in this moment, and God's going to say, nah, I don't want that. I'd rather you be disobedient. I mean, can you, it just doesn't happen. The thing that we can know that God is always going to answer in our lives Give us what we ask for is when we say, God, make me faithful. God, help me grow in Christ. God, help me love my spouse the way I'm supposed to. God, help me be the godly parent to my children that you want me to be. God, let me be the the kind of employee or the kind of neighbor that glorifies you and serves as the light of the world. God, help me to give the way I'm supposed to. God, help me to share my faith the way I'm supposed to. In any of those occasions, can you think of God saying, nah, I don't want to give you I don't want to give you that. We know that God wants to give us whatever we need in order to be obedient. So when you and I are asking God to make us obedient, we're asking according to his will. He hears us, and whatever he hears, he's going to give us, and we have that from him. And if we have God's resources for us so that we can be obedient, guess what? The, the commands are not burdensome. They may be challenging, but they're not burdensome. And you and I are experiencing the great life. Because we're living the life that God wants for us. So here's my action item for us today. And <coughs> this is an interesting experiment that I'm looking forward to seeing how God uses in my life personally, 
in, in our staff life as we pray together and as you pray and you make this commitment personally. But, you know, we spend a lot of time in our prayer asking for great things. God, heal Paul Silva. God, bring peace to the Middle East. You know, it, it, and I'm not saying we should stop praying for those things. I think you should keep praying for those things. But here's my challenge to you and I, is to spend 50% of our prayer time praying for God to make us obedient. Just, just take half of your prayer time and focus it on asking God to make you obedient. God, make me a faithful witness. God, help me to serve let me, let me really truly be a, a servant leader. God, help me to possess my body in holiness so that, it, so that the way I, I use it in, in serving others or sexually, whatever, is pleasing in your eyes. And right on top, just spend 50 times. If you pray 10 minutes a day, spend five minutes of it asking God to make you obedient in various areas of your life. If you spend 30 minutes a day praying, spend 15 minutes of it and just pray for God to make you obedient obedient. Because I got to tell you, if you and I are going to make the choice to live like the winners that God has designed us to be, to stop taking these, these Formula One race cars that God's given us as our lives, and we're taking them off trail and trying to get over rocks with them instead of flying around a course, or you know, or we're stop taking this master violin that God's given us to play our lives with and stop treating it like a drum. If we're going to start doing that kind of stuff and actually changing the way, we, we have to be asking God for that which he is so excited to give us, which is to be obedient, which is the heart and soul of being a winner in the kingdom of God. So I don't know how many of you are going to take that challenge, but as you do, I look forward to hearing your stories. God has created us. He's scripted into us. He's empowered us. He's given us an internal impulse, and he's willing to resource us with everything that we need to be spiritual winners through being obedient to him. Let's pray together. God, I pray as you answer our prayer, that we'd be able to extract every ounce of blessing from you that you're already ready to give to us. Tell us in your word that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As Father, as we get on our knees, we ask you to make us obedient. Father, I pray you pour those blessings into our lives as we live like spiritual victors before you. And I ask this not because we're gifted or we're qualified. I ask it because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's our brother. He's our Lord. He's our intercessor. And you hear and you answer. So God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.